Hello and welcome to Trex Brighton's premiere music podcast. I'm Tim. And I'm Harry. And I'm talking like this for <laughs> reasons I don't quite understand. But this is episode 31. It is. We're back. 30 was a big one. Yeah. 31 even bigger. You should have seen the 30th birthday party. <laughs> it went off. Harry's uh, Sunday night antics were as wild as ever. And I was the designated driver. Right, none of that. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't even a party. Why no. wasn't there a party, Harry? That's a really good question. I think it's because we're holding out for later on down the line, aren't we? I think 50th we will have a big party. I think so. And also we're slightly contemplating Halloween parties. Yeah. So, party central still, despite not having celebrated our 30th birthday. Not really important. The point is, it's Tuesday. It's Jack's Day. Lucky people again, another episode. Lucky, definitely. Uh, so, we know you all hate this bit, but you just want to get stuck into the good stuff. So, without further ado, are we seeing them on the flip side? We're gonna flip reverse it, we're gonna. Let me think of a good way to say flip. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just see them on the other side. Shall we begin? Let's begin Normally, we start an episode with me asking you what your musical highlights of the week are, Harry. That is how we usually go. But realistically, we both know that we've, on Sunday morning, had a joint musical highlight. Oh, yeah, we have. We've got exciting news, guys. We're going to Glastonbury again. Again. (laughs) And we're so sorry for people out there, because there will be many of you who missed out for maybe seeming a little bit smug, a little bit too pleased, but I'm so excited. Yeah, this will be your second, this will be my third year. Patrick. Yeah, and the really worrying thing is once you start going, it's only going to get worse if you don't get a ticket. I was saying to you earlier that... uh, as much as I was absolutely delighted, uh, you know, elated to have got the ticket, the main emotion I felt was relief. Last year when I got my first Glastonbury ticket, I was Excellent. I was so happy for days, just couldn't believe I was going. This year, I was just relieved at the absolute despair that I was We didn't have to think about it anymore, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, we've done that, good. Yeah. Now we just wait. Yeah. Although, can I just disclose that there were, I did have a moment on Sunday evening where... I remember that I also have to go through uh, the Monday evening after arriving home from Glastonbury and then the Tuesday after arriving home from Glastonbury and then I had a bit of despair again. So I was like, you're so negative. That's a bleak moment of your life. I've got another one of them Don't think about the five days. No, it's just like, oh, you have to go home. (laughs) Yeah, I know. There's my mental state at the moment, guys. (laughs) A little bit of insight. So yeah, I'm sorry if that seemed like we were gloating. But I just had to mention it. We're going to Glastonbury again. Yeah. And a few tracks listeners, um, you know, maybe people who don't live in the country, who uh, have heard of Glastonbury and are excited for it, the idea of it, just know that we're going to bring you great coverage next year. You've got that to look forward to now. Yeah. You'll get tracks dispatches from the front line again. And some crazy things that have happened I'm sure crazier maybe yeah. now we'll know the place we can really let, let free oh imagine if we have to do another one of those walks we will 
No, but like as bad as that one. We won't. No. We won't we'll make sure again. we don't. I will go four times instead yeah. of uh, having it like that. <laughs> oh, That's a very Lord. good point. Now I feel terrible. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, this is what I do to people. Let's start looking into like hovercrafts. Maybe it'll be dry next year and we can just have a trolley or something. I'll buy a trolley next year. I'm not going to allow that to happen again. Let's hope for good weather, eh? Yeah. Fingers crossed. Mm. Anyway, aside from our real musical highlight of the week, do you have another musical highlight of the week? I do. And it's one that I've been wanting to do for quite a while, but circumstances have made me not be able to choose this. Um, So, I believe about, I guess five weeks ago, so it's over a month. Uh, That's how months work. Um, (laughs) Atlanta came out. This is Donald Glover. Um, Childish Gambino is his music name. Donald, you go for Donald Glover is his name, yeah. Isn't it like Donal? No. They, I swear people say like Donal. No, Donald Glover is his name. No, I think they say No, that. it's Donal, whatever that is, whatever you're saying has to be a joke because that's nonsense. I've definitely heard it. But anyway. I'm just saying, I'm talking about like American pronunciations. <laughs> well, no, it's Donald. I've heard it said. Anyway, um, he has written or co-written with I think his brother or his cousin um, Atlanta which is an FX series about life in Atlanta now it is about so he plays a guy Earn and he notices that Earn Earn yeah he notices (laughs) sorry don't they pronounce that (laughs) (laughs) no this one I'm just wondering like what is that I don't know. He's very earnest about his life. So is that what it's for? Earnest? I imagine so, yeah. Ernie. Ernie. <laughs> Ernie. Um, so he plays a guy, Ern, who um, <laughs> has a cousin who becomes this kind of well-known-ish or up-com- up-and-coming rapper in the community called Paperboy. And he kind of has this little hit song that's like, gets a lot of views on YouTube and stuff and gets tries to get a bit of radio play and it's kind of all about him growing up, his struggles. He kind of plays like a late 20s, kind of his actual age and it's about his relationships with his friends and his, um, I think, ex-girlfriend he still lives with, the, the mother of his child. Okay. So he's a dad as well. And it's about growing up in Atlanta. He's poor. There's multiple kind of skits about him being poor like there's a there's a really good part where he is in a restaurant and he realizes he only has like 32 dollars left and this woman (laughs) uh, the like woman the waitress sorry is constantly trying to upsell them and the his girlfriend with him at the time doesn't know that he's got like no money she's like oh would you like the um this fish and he's like no i just want like the cheapest thing on here and he's trying he's trying to like be secretive about the fact he's got no money and just the way it kind of plays out is hilarious. He's okay. just like, you're fucking me. <laughs> Stop upselling me. <laughs> um, but it's really, really good. And you know, the reason why I'm picking it is because it's got some really, really, really good music in it. It plays a And it's built around music, right? It's built about, around music, yeah. Certainly the story. And he kind of collates this really good soundtrack for it. Yeah. Um, people like Gucci Mane. Um, Waka Flocka Flame. These are <laughs> you made that one up. No, do you not know Waka Flocka Flame? 
Is this like um, on the Adam Buxton podcast when Louis Threw was on there and he was reading uh, ingredients from the Monster Energy drink? And Adam had to guess which ones were made up. Are you just going to read out rappers and I'm going to have to say who's real and who's not? Uh, Binkle Bonkle Boo. <laughs> which one's real? So they uh, go from, I'm just going to name some people, um, Kodak Black, um, Michael Kiwanuka is in episode four at the very end. Home again, this is his old kind of thing. Um, it, he basically, he really goes for Atlanta rappers. He helps out these up and coming guys, these guys that haven't really got a huge name and he'll play a lot of their songs. And the way he introduces them are really good. Like there'll be a moment where he's walking with his headphones on and you can hear the song. So it's quite organic. It's not kind of really um, organic. Like, you know, dropping people in because they've requested to be in it. It feels natural when you watch it. Because I haven't watched this yet. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's a part, I think, uh, OJ Deduce Man is made up. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, He, there's, I think there's a bit when he's in a car and they're all singing along to this song. So it's really natural. And I think, like it's this show about the Atlanta kind of rap scene and what it is to be kind of a musician and a rapper in that kind of community. And the best and most authentic way that he's doing it is by using real artists that are within the same kind of confounds as, as the the kind of show is. Sure. Um, so it, you cannot just listen to it and like the whole thing together works. You'll you'll find new artists from it. You'll when you hear ones that you know, like when Michael Kiwanuka came on, I got really excited. And the show itself is one of the best things I've seen certainly this year and kind of for a long time it's funny it is dark there are some he he said before he wants to show what it's like to be black okay and it's I think it's an all black cast of writers and like I I know this kind of um, you know potentially drops you in uncomfortable grounds because yeah yeah, we're not black we're not American you know it's a very different world but if he has said that publicly, I'm not say, I'm not asking you to say yes. I watch it and I feel like I'm black. But like, um, does it feel really like a snapshot into another way of life in another world? Yes. Like it, it feels very much like that, and not like like he said before or somebody said before that you get black comedians who are like, this is what it's like for white people, and this is what it's like for black people. Yeah. Oh, it's mental. Whereas he is very much showing you. I can't think of a, an, a, an example for now, but you'll imagine this show was made by a middle-class white guy in England, and it was set there. You're seeing a depiction of that story said or told from a guy from a completely different background. It's not forced. It's not. He's not purposely showing you kind of stereotypical yeah. things. It's it's very yeah. natural and organic, and what I would imagine yeah. is very real. Yeah. One of the things that I do know about it. Um, and like I said, I haven't watched it yet, but I have read a couple of things. It sounds to me like he was kind of given total creative freedom over it. And mm. it's always a little bit of a worry for me when um, you hear about things that are from quite uh, kind of interesting and unique points of view, but then get a bit distilled. Distilled? Yeah. Like, is that the word I mean? Maybe. Um like washed down a little bit by going through like 
a number of vetting processes and oh we can't actually say that you know we're gonna we're gonna kind of rein this back a little bit and then you kind of lose the uh individual's outlook i guess yeah um it sounds to me like he's had kind of pretty much total creative freedom over this absolutely which suggests to me that it is then going to be quite insightful and quite interesting it really is but yeah that's my highlight i'm gonna play um there's a bit in it bill withers um grandma's hands plays in it grandma's house grandma's hands it's a classic tune you'll know it when you hear it it's it's like old I'm assuming it's maybe like um, an Atlanta, maybe he's an Atlanta artist. I'm not going to go out and say that that's true. But um, we, seems, we know Bill Withers. It's, yeah, just it seems very much of um, that kind of background. Certainly maybe the history of Atlanta and um, kind of the history of black music and stuff. So I'm going to play that because I like the song as well. So Bill Withers, Grandma's Hand. Lovely stuff. Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well. Grandma's hands used to issue out a warning. She'd say, Billy, don't you run so fast. Might fall on a piece of glass. Might be snakes there in that grass. Grandma's hands. So that's my highlight. Give us your highlight. I will give you my highlight, Harry. Thank you, Ted. So, as podcast listeners will know, we make a podcast. And we are also... <laughs> what a big revelation to everyone. But also, we are big uh, podcast fans. Mm. And my highlight this week is a podcast. Uh and it's a British podcast, which I think might be a first. Like, we've talked about American podcasts before. Yeah. And, you know... Well, I don't listen to many English ones. No, the Americans are kind of the undisputed kings of podcasts, right? Yeah. Apart from tracks, they don't have a music show to match up to us. But everything else, you know, they're better. Yeah. But there's a certain podcast channel called The Documentary, which is made by the BBC... Uh, which I'm guessing is stuff that's been on BBC Radio, um, but it never really specifies if it is or if it's stuff or what uh, radio station it's been on, basically. But these are kind of, you know, I think This American Life kind of storytelling podcast. There's loads of them, and they're really, really amazing, some of them. And my musical highlight this week is actually something that came out in February, but I've only just got around to listening to, called Something Old, Something New. And it's kind of all about music and not about music at all. I think you've listened... Have you listened to the... I've listened to, I think, three quarters of it. Okay. I mean, you haven't got to the really uplifting bit then. But you really should. It's amazing. I've listened to it twice in a week. So I think that tells you everything you You need to know. You told me about it beforehand. I listened to it on the bus here. And then by the time I got here, I'd sign off. So, essentially, it's the story of a guy called Johnny Pitt. Uh, his father was, like, a, an African-American soul singer, and his mum was, like, you know, just, like, a normal, music-loving girl from Sheffield, which, for people who don't know, is a city 
in the north of England, which is uh, it's known as the Steel City. It's a very industrial place. It's kind of, um, yeah, connected to kind of industry and very much a working class place. Uh, and his parents met in kind of the heyday of Northern Soul in in the UK. This was kind of, I think, in the 60s, like a big craze, like especially in the north, Northern Soul. They, mm. You'd have these clubs, they'd do all-nighters, they would play soul music, and kind of white working-class kids would go and dance this black American music. Um, and it was a huge thing, and I think um, in terms of you know, a lot of the kind of racial segregation and stuff like that, which was going on in the world at that time, you know, it was kind of a step in a really positive direction. Um, and yeah, the, these two people met through that, and they had this son who they then raised together in Sheffield in the north of England. Uh, and the theme of music kind of runs through the whole thing, obviously. It's what brought them together and created his life, and it's also a huge part of what he finds out gave his ancestors, like, not a, li- not a life, they had a life anyway, but like a viable life. So he learns how generations of his families were enslaved in the south of America. He says about his grandma going to be a maid at a house. Yeah, she was the first uh, generation of his family that escaped, you know, the cotton fields Mm. and she moved to New York. Um, And basically it's the story of how he learns that the kind of talent and courage and creativity of previous generations not only was kind of part of their liberation but also kind of what put the places that I think they said 12 generations of his family had been enslaved in the South. So it was kind of, not only was it what kind of helped them escape, but it was kind of what put these places on the map eventually as well. Mm. You know, these were kind of, and that's where it kind of fits back into music because obviously it is a, it's not necessarily a musical story. It's a political story and a human story. Historical, yeah. Yeah, but it kind of, it feeds back in to music. And I guess, you know, we try occasionally to talk about kind of important, quite profound things and often struggle. And I'm going to struggle. So I'm going to uh, read a quote from this guy, Johnny Pitt, the son of the woman from Sheffield and the soul singer from America, mm-hmm. about what he found out in this uh, this podcast where he goes and searches out where the roots of his family are from. And he says, It's not the genes of slaves that I carry, but rather the genes of enslaved people. People who ultimately were resilient and creative in the face of injustice and provocation. Cultural creators who managed to manoeuvre through treacherous times and spaces and still bear the fruits of our music and stories that transform the face of the world. Influences that can be found even in Sheffield, where I grew up. So what he's talking about is the fact that, you know, music and creativity and ingenuity were the things that liberated his family. And, you know, like he says, where he uh, spent his youth on the other side of the world, the endeavours of those people still touched him and his friends and people who were not from the same background as him. Yeah. And... 
it kind of just brings it back full circle, you know, back to music, back to culture, and back to kind of how we're all human. And basically, I just think it's a really powerful and poignant piece of audio. And I believe it really is, because on the way here, I had to listen to some music for myself. And you showed me this, and I ended up getting all the way here without being able to turn it off because I was listening to this story the whole way through. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's one of those funny um, sort of phrases that we use of music brings people together. But, like, in all seriousness, it really, really does. It is a platform, and it's powerful, and it's, yeah, it is a platform to do these kind of big things. Yeah. It's a really amazing piece, and I don't, I feel like... Even that quote I read is maybe a little bit of, not a spoiler, because it's not a thing that you can have a spoiler of, but just as in, like, I don't want to rob people of um, the joy and the experience of listening to this for the first time and kind of uh, having the discoveries as the main protagonist, Johnny Pitt, has them. All I want to say is, if you're a music fan and, you know, a human then you will really love this story. Go and check it out. It's called Something Old, Something New. And it's also like a little opportunity, I'm just going to say, for us to shout out like other British podcasters because like, like I say, the Americans got the edge on us, but it's nice to see, you know, Even if us guys. <laughs> yeah, but it's nice to see us guys still making something that's comparable. That could sit in This American Life, and I'm proud of that. Yeah. Because... This American Life is pretty much the perfect podcast. It's the dawn, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so go and check it out. And yeah, the song I'm going to play is the song by Johnny Pitt's father, Richard Pitt's. Um, his biggest hit. He was in a band called The Fantastics. And they had a song called Something Old, Something New. Which we're almost certainly going to steal yeah. as a jingle <laughs> for when we do Old, New, Borrowed, Blue. Um but it's a great tune. It's a great story. Check it out. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. I've still got memories to cherish. Oh, sunlight shining your hair. Today, the 18th of October, is the five-year anniversary of the day that the Stone Roses announced that they were coming back. They were going to do uh, a set of reunion shows after 15 years away from the scene. You know, now, five years on, we know that they have done a load of shows. They're back again this summer for shows. It's amazing that five years since they said they were going to do some shows and that, we've only just started to get some new music from them. Yeah. Mm. Which wasn't really worth any of the wait at all. It was alright. we all hold hands. <laughs> no one really cared. I would have loved to... I suppose last summer, uh, those songs probably got quite a good reaction at the Stone Roses Stadium gigs. I assume so. I feel like this summer less so. I feel like they're fully forgotten by this stage. Mm. Maybe not. 
I'm quite a big Stone Roses fan, but not a huge Stone Roses fan. I like them. I like them a good amount. I like them a larger amount, but not as much as some people I know. Yeah. We've, at risk of just annoying everyone, uh, we've already alluded to the fact that we're going to Glastonbury, and they are strongly uh, suggested as being headliners this year. Yeah, which I hope for. Would you be delighted? I would be very much delighted. I would be delighted, especially after last year's headliners. I would be chuffed. I know to the books. First album, Inside Out. Second album, mostly, and obviously none of the new album <laughs> apart from yeah. two songs. Yeah. So, what this brings us to, anyway, as a theme for a podcast, is bands who were good, had a hiatus. Came back and continue to be good. Yeah. That's what we're going for. Comebacks. Big comebacks. Yeah. Originally, I felt quite difficult to find until you kind of looked into it a bit more. Because when when I officially do these kind of things, I do a bit of Googling. And it's pretty much boy bands that are in all the articles. One Direction was every article I could find for ages. Well, they haven't come back. Good. But there's Boyzone and Back to Whatever and This Five and Backstreet Boys? Yeah, all kinds. This Five? Just Five? Yeah. (laughs) Basically, all of these stupid band names and all of them went away for a bit and then didn't get... Like, there's a band, is it... What are they? The Wanted? Apparently they went on the hiatus and they're still... They're not back yet. Like, Stay back. Just stay away. We don't need you. No, go and entertain the masses. I don't mind. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was our challenge. Great acts who went away and came back. And we're going to do some picks each. And Harry's up first. Am I? Well, I guess that's how it goes, isn't it? That's how it goes. Mm. Okay, so, so in 2015, Blur released The Magic Whip. Now, we've waited 13 years. In 2003, they had Think Tank. I believe that was their last album. So, 13 years is quite a while to wait, especially as they were, you know, one of the kind of the biggest bands of the Britpop era. Yeah, although they're a funny one, weren't they? Because, um, although obviously Damon Orban isn't everything that Blur are. Yeah. I do feel a little bit like um, this could be totally wrong and I could just annoy loads of listeners but I do feel a little bit like uh, if I was a Blur fan Blur stopped making stuff and Gorillaz turned up that would kind of fill the void a little bit personally I'm a bigger Gorillaz fan than I am a Blur fan yeah there's I'm with Blur I'm kind of there are songs that I love and there's a lot of songs that I don't know about like I'm a big fan of a lot of Blur songs and they're like some of my favourite songs. Um, Funnily enough, with this new album, 2015 album, doesn't to me sound like a Blur album. It's it's very much like he is one of Damon Albarn's uh, other projects, which, you know, he's been very uh, consistent every year with kind of doing something in the music world, whether it's his own thing or with gorillas, or doing anything else with other people. So, 
I wasn't hugely anticipating this album when I when I first heard that Blur were going to come back. I was definitely you know eager to hear what it was going to be, and like you, you kind of open this up as um, bands that have come back and been just as good. Now I'm not saying that I think this album is bad because it's definitely not. There's some really really great songs in it, and I actually like the album. I just don't think it sounds like have come back and this is yeah it but I think we can let you off for that because uh, in the premise to the theme uh, it was Stone Roses we were talking about yeah and you know just like Blur when you go and see Stone Roses you want the original songs and when you go and see Blur now live still yeah you don't no one wants stuff from the Magic Whip like no, I think it's true that when I go, when everybody goes to see Stone Roses, they're happy to hear the new songs, and some people are excited for the new album, but really they want to go and either relive what it was like to be a Stone Roses fan at that age, or a yeah. Blur fan, or I think it's a minority that really want... Well, no, let's say the Maccabees came back well. in 15 years, I would want to hear their new album, but I would more so want to hear the whole catalogue live but yeah although maybe this is um, maybe I'm wrong in this but I feel like like a lot of our friends went to the Stone Roses gigs at the Etihad in Manchester last summer and you know like you said about the Maccabees we would maybe be going to those gigs in 15 years you know, as God, forty-year-olds, which is depressing. <laughs> but we would be thinking, "Oh, I love. I want to listen to new Maccabees stuff, and I've heard the old stuff before." But if they, in fifteen years, have the cult status that the Stone Roses have, you'll have a load of kids who yeah. think, "I just want to hear the originals live. I want to hear that for the first time ever." Yeah. So that's. I think that's the difference with a lot of bands that come back after a long period of time. It's funny when you do give it that time frame of I will be around 38 in 15 years. So Stone Roses fans, a lot of them will be kind of that age. That is a long time to go without hearing your favourite band ever. Yeah. Live. Yeah. Worryingly so. I know, I'm just having like uh, visions into my future and I'm I'm just... Can I go down to the, the, the thing and watch this band play like... No, I can't because I'm going. I've got to look after my children. As oh, if we have children, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, come on! I'm a good dad. I know it. <laughs> um, there are a number of songs in this album that I really, really like. So the second half of the album, there's a song on here, "My Terracotta Heart." Um, Great song. Yeah, song I really love. Right. It. Does it is is it a blur song to you? Um Yeah. Yeah. Not a not a blur not <laughs> Britpop blur Oh the people yeah. Not that kind of blur song, but yes, it is a blur song to me because Blur made it. <laughs> well but also because I am someone who uh I've listened to Pretty much every Blur album, 
pretty extensively. So I, you know, the kind of different styles of what Blur can be, I'm yeah. quite well versed in. So yeah, to me that is a Blur song. Well, on um, one of my favourite Blur songs is To The End. Great. And I find that this is closer to kind of that area of yeah, Blur. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a different kind of Blur, but it's maybe not the yeah. Blur that is so well uh, remembered. And this is kind of the first time I've had a band that I've... Because obviously I haven't had to wait 15 or 13 years. But No, um, no I mean, we would have been 10. Yeah, so when I, when I was really listening to Blur, it was maybe six or seven years ago when I was kind of really into them. So it, that's still quite a while to wait. And I guess you, you always want them to sound the same, but you also want them to sound different. It's just sometimes you struggle. Like, what do you really want from them? And it's hard for them to really win. Uh, I'm going to play My Terracotta Heart, but I do want people to go and listen to the album. Yep. Um, there Are Too Many Of Us is after that, and I think that's really kind of eerie. And I really like that as well. But um, I'm going to put a bit of my terracotta heart yeah. on. Do. My terracotta heart. <laughs> my terracotta heart. <laughs> Move on from that into what is going to be quite a swift first choice. No, Taylor Swift never went away. Good Although, I'll tell you She's what. She's going to go away for a while. No, now. I'll tell you what. <laughs> 1989 feels like a lifetime ago. If this isn't a hiatus, then I don't know what When it is. was it? Like two years ago, maybe. Okay. And I'm feeling lonely. I need some swizz back in my life. But anyway... While she's busy gallivanting around the world with random men who aren't me, um, <laughs> tragically, I'm here doing a podcast and I'm going to say that taking on from your Blur selection, one of the forgotten acts, not forgotten actually, that's a lie, I don't even know why I said it, another one of the Britpop era bands who, um, yeah, Deserve as much credit in my book as Oasis and Blur, but aren't kind of uh, in that exact rivalry, are Pulp. Right. And Pulp had a really long hiatus themselves. Pulp, for me, are definitely one of the ones that I am not very knowledgeable about. Really? Mm. They're, you would love them. You would really love them. I think you might like them more than you'd like Blur. They're brilliant. Uh, so in 2001... They released uh, We Love Life and then went on a 10-year hiatus before reuniting for a load of live dates at Isle of Wight, where I saw them that year, at Leeds and Reading, where I saw them that year, and at Primavera and Wireless and I think Coachella maybe that summer too. They played a load of shows that summer and uh, they've kind of released... Little dribs and drabs of stuff since then, but not a full album. But basically, 
if you want to see a genuine frontman in the ilk of Mick Jagger, in the ilk of Bruce Springsteen, in the ilk of like the very, very best frontmen there have ever been in the history of music, go and watch Jarvis Cocker. He is a genius. He has the crowd in the palm of his hand when you watch him. And he's funny and he's interesting and he dances weird and he looks like he might be like a Wes Anderson character but he's actually a human man. Yeah. But also, <laughs> like in uh, in Fantastic Mr. Fox, my favourite film ever, he is a Wes Anderson character really? when they're protesting outside uh, whatever it is, something Bunsen Bean, the three farmers. He's like a... He's like a little protest person. He sings a little song. He's just brilliant. And we he actually spoke... plays... Like, yeah, it's him. Yeah. And he oh, sings wow. a song. And it's amazing. He's like a little uh, plasticine figure of himself. And, you know, we've played him on... I think it was Peace, Love and Rock and Roll. Yeah. Uh, that song, Cunts Are Running the World. Like, he's just a brilliantly interesting person. And if you can ever watch a speech that he's done at an awards ceremony, watch it. Because, like... That one that Alex Turner tried to do at the Brits a few years ago, which was embarrassing and shit. He was trying to be... I liked that. He was trying to be Jarvis Cocker, but just without any of the charm or wit or interest or coolness. He just lacked it all. I thought it was cool. I thought it was not cool. That rock and roll rubbish with his fake American accent. Shut up. Jarvis Cocker is a legend and a genius. And yeah, Pulp deserve to be remembered a lot more than they are. And who knows if they're kind of gone for good again or not. But if anyone out there ever gets a chance to see Pulp live, do it. Because they're amazing. The song I'm going to play is called Sorted for Ease and Wiz. And yeah, the two times I saw it live, it went off. Sorry, sorted for ease and whiz. Yes. Okay. It's a drug reference, Harry. Oh, ease. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And it's great. Okay. Yeah. Pulp. Legends. That was Pulp with Sorted Freeze and Whiz, and I think the uh, the opening two lines of that kind of uh, summed up why the two times I saw them at a festival, they felt kind of so great. He says, oh, so is this the way the future's meant to feel, or just 20,000 people standing in a field? So it's kind of, he's speaking to the masses. Yeah, great. Beautiful. So, choice number two, Harry. Choice number two. So, my next choice is a band that is a British icon in music. They are the Libertines. So we had Up the Bracket in 2002, then yeah. we had self-titled The Libertines in 2004, and then we had nothing until 2015, where we had Anthems for Doomed Youth. Yeah. Now, to me, 
for such a lot, such a huge band, two albums seems a bit um, scarce. So we did have numerous amount of projects by both Carl Barrett and Pete Doherty to kind of fill the void until we were to get this new album. I knew there was a little bit of um, what's the word? Something between them both. Animosity. Made, yeah, that made people think that maybe the Libertines well, yeah, they, wouldn't come back. They hugely fell out is yeah. the is what happened and even while they were still in a band they'd fallen out. Can't stand me now is kind of one of those yeah. brilliantly iconic moments in British music where they'd fully in many ways had enough of each other but were still maintaining some kind of working relationship. Yeah. So people had to wait quite a while. And I'm, I'm thinking back in 2002 and four, probably before I started to kind of delve into music. So I'd obviously, I think after finding out to monkeys and stuff, were told you should probably listen to the Libertines. Yeah. And that's by the time I'd started to listen to them, I think Baby Shambles started to kind of come out, and I didn't know the the links between who was who, and this was before I really knew who Brick P. Doherty was, and yeah, all of this stuff. Um, so yeah people had to wait a while for this and when this album first came out I did give it a go I personally couldn't really gauge with it It for me some of it sounds messy some of it doesn't sound mixed very well yeah um, there, are, there are just a few issues I have with this album there's not even Gunga Din it's probably one of my favourite tracks off the album and it, it's the one I'm going to play later on. Um, yeah, we had to we had to wait a long time for this and I yeah. think... Yeah, it was... A, I would like to know from a huge Libertines fan. Josh Lee, our friend, is yeah. a big Libertines fan. I mean, for, you know, for like me... from him. They're one of my very first loves and... Um, you know, one of my very first musical heartbreaks, really, in that, um, as I've spoken about many, many times before, to the point where it's so boring, the stuff that I got into early, it was indie music, but it was very much through family members. Libertine's one of the first things that I showed to family members and said, like, they're really great, you should check them out. Mm. So I remember showing my dad... Uh, Oh, what became of the Likely Lads? Yeah. I think maybe it's just called the Likely Lads, and he loved it because like the Likely Lads is like a eighties uh, TV show, and he just thought it was a silly name for a song. Yeah. But like, I got hugely in to the Libertines very early on. Um, I remember having a paper round when I was in like year seven, year eight at school, and um, every morning listening to "Don't Look Back Into the Sun." Which is as I went around, one yeah. of the best British songs. Of, yeah, like so. Like this is a band that I am absolutely uh, forever attached to. Their early stuff. Mm. Now I wasn't old enough to be going to their gigs and be part of the London scene, but in terms of the music and in terms of the connection it has to my life and how much I care for it, I love the Libertines. I saw them twice, just as they come back. I saw them at Reading. And I saw them in London as well at one of their comeback shows. 
When did they come? Did they come back a long time before the release of this new album? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. They, they right, were back at least, for a while. Then. At least eighteen months, if not two years, before they played yeah. Reading, um, and it was beautiful. But also, there's a again, there's a heartbreak to it all because Pete just looks so unwell. Mm. It's really hard to. From I remember. Again, you know, like when I spoke about being in Manchester for the Morrissey show and there's kind of uh, 40, 50, you know, maybe 60 year old guys who are still just kind of in love with Morrissey. And Morrissey's kind of maintained his look and he still looks fantastic and well and great and cool. And like for people, veganism, for people like me who were kind of. 13, 14, 15, thinking Pete Doherty was the coolest guy in the world. Mm. And he was gorgeous. He was such a beautiful man. And, like, he was a poet and he was so intelligent. And, like, when you saw him in interviews, he was kind of softly spoken. Intelligent. Yeah, intelligent. Like, a genius. And you look at him now and he's just, like, a drug-addled... Like, oh, he looks terrible, and it's kind of heartbreaking to look at him. He's hit his... He looks 50 way before he should. Yeah. 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 Completely. Mm. But, like, this is what I'm saying. Like, they, they've they become a difficult act to watch and to observe. Yeah. It's weird because I think Pete Doherty is almost a national treasure. If only he didn't have these kind of negative um, things that people uh, kind of associate with him. Yeah, because he is part of that. But, like... Uh, and it, okay, it came after the Liberty and Baby Channels, but I think Albion is not only an incredible song, but I think that is that's a kind of poet laureate level piece of poetry. Like he, like you say, he's a national treasure. He's mm. a he's an incredible wordsmith. He's a genius, um, and yeah. You'll hear, you know, you say you'd like to hear from someone who's a huge Libertines fan. I adore them. I, and I, I adore those that, too. Really. Be- because, like, it's hard to be a Libertines fan now. Yeah. Partly because there's an interesting crowd when you go and watch Libertines these days. Mm. Like, even at Reading that year, it was odd. Like, fights kicking out all over the place. Like, it was strange. And, like... It's become attached to a culture that it's never like part of. What Katie did and stuff, and did, yeah. do you just see the the crowds just calm? Yeah. Or like no, it's it's just chaos. It's just yeah, it's chaos. I remember. Uh, I think Josh, I've mentioned just quickly earlier. He has this tattoo. Yeah, and uh, it's from I think is it? Um, I can't remember what lyric it's got. It's got it's a, I know the lyric. lyric is I believe it's from the good old days. What's the lyric? If you've lost your faith in love and music, I will be end won't be long. Is that what it is, really? Yeah, and I that is one of my favourite yeah. things I've heard in a song. Yeah. I don't know why, necessarily. It it speaks to me. I just think, I think those two it, things are, like, the most important thing for me. Yeah, I think it speaks to all of us. A, uh, music fans, and B, hopeless romantics. Where yeah. It's just like, yeah, what else is there to live for, really? Yeah. <laughs> um... So I'm going to play Gungadin off the new album. Yeah. And it's a great shout. In terms of this uh, category, you couldn't have picked something that was more uh, perfect for me because that's the the most excited I've ever been for a comeback. Yes. So. 
Peloponnese with Again, to my chagrin, I'm getting sick and tired of feeling sick and tired again. I tried to write, cause I got the right to make it look as if I'm doing something with my life. Couldn't find a vein, it's always the same. I had a drink to ease the pain, look at the sun firing. I woke up again, drank the gun, got deep. That was great. Great to hear that again. Think about the lip scenes again. Um, to hear that voice. Yeah, exactly. It's the quintessential Pete voice in that, mm. regardless of what era it comes from. Just, yeah. The kind of... Uh, the the <laughs> depth. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. So I'm going to move on to an actor I... Uh, only got into... After the hiatus, which I think is a move away from all three um, selections we've had so far. People who we knew about previously and then were glad when they came back. Funny enough, my next choice is like that. So, yeah. we've, We're both making a step. <laughs> um, and this is a band who, they came back and I got really, really into and kind of... You know that thing where you get a little bit obsessive about them and you just feel like you want to know everything about them. Oh, yeah. So this is Sleater Kinney. Never heard of him. <laughs> How dismissive. Um, Sleater Kinney, are they Scottish? No. They're an American kind of alt-rock band from kind of second half of the 90s, I think, very slightly over the millennium, but essentially kind of 95 to 2000. They're all-female, Hugely feminist, hugely political, hugely punk, hugely important, really, really powerful. Just amazing. Pussy Riot. Different, but yeah. I mean, the so the first thing I ever heard about them was um, Ryan Jarman, who I've talked about before, a guy from The Cribs, a guy who... Um, I respect hugely musically and I love his band and I love everything he's worked on. Um, I saw him doing an interview, uh, I think maybe with The Guardian, um, and he, they were talking about like the most important things to happen in music in 2015. And he said, uh, Slater Kinney coming back, he was talking about how uh, the music scene had needed such a vibrant political force and, yeah, feminism had needed this kick up the arse that Slater Kinney could deliver. And um, so I thought, wow, who are these guys? Um, went and dug back, and they're amazing. They're just amazing. Musically, impressive, like, just kind of captivating, dark, important, kind of outspoken... And, yeah, politically, a message, a whole thing around them, a whole a whole scene kind of built up around them, I think, and are now kind of... Uh... So during their first period, they were kind of insanely prolific. They were, I think, active from 1994 to 
2005 in the first instance. And during that time, they put out seven albums. It's like an album every, like, year and a half. Yeah. And not just like a, you know, a Gucci Mane nonsense album. Like a really vibrant, potent, political, important album. I suppose it... Maybe it comes with such kind of uh, engagement in wider culture in that, you know, a lot of things happens, a lot of things happen in a year and a half. So if you're really engaged with that stuff and you're really trying to speak to what's happening in the wider world, you get loads of material within a year, you know, anything well, can happen. This time a year and a half ago, we didn't know Brexit would have happened. We didn't know Donald Trump was a person who was going to be president, maybe. Like, well, Gucci Mane didn't know how many bitches he gonna fuck and how yeah. many monies he gonna make. And so how I guess... many Wab Tolbert they were gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> what was that southern accent? <laughs> that was, uh, it was the water boy. My mama shit. <laughs> but my point is, I suppose, um, a lot of my favourite artists, generally speaking, you know, people like Billy Bragg being an obvious exception, they're quite uh, introspective, and a lot of what they talk about is experiences with their own life. Yeah. Um, partly because that's what I really love, and it makes me, it helps me make sense of myself. But also, you know, someone like Kate Tempest is a good um, comparison because she's been around in the public eye for a relatively short period of time, but keeps churning out these really important, vibrant tracks yeah. because she's talking about what's happening in the world. And I think Sitakini were maybe quite similar to that and that's probably why they were so prolific and yeah just a hugely important band and i think the the late 90s and sort of early 2000s in some ways is seen as a little bit of a kind of wasteland for important political music a lot of the excitement and the buzz of the mid 90s had died and you know you had a lot of kind of throwaway pop being really popular, mm. you know. But like, I, I think maybe we don't remember that uh, period, especially the second half of the nineties, particularly fondly for kind of people who are talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah, Sitakini are the exception. I now realise to that trend, and they're really worth going to check out. And they're back. They're touring. They put out. An album last year called No Cities to Love, which was fantastic. I'm sure they got a lot to talk about now. Yeah. Yeah. Because the world's gone to shit. <laughs> so, I would like to play the title track of that album. It's called No Cities to Love. It's Sia Kinney. They're great. Check them out. There are no cities, no cities to love. There are no cities, no cities to love. I'm definitely going to listen to them a lot more than I know about because I didn't know them at all. Um, right, so my next choice, and I'm going to be 
and 1% honest about this. Sometimes when I come onto this show, I I feel like I have to try hard to talk about something. And maybe I won't have all the knowledge behind me, maybe it's somebody that I don't know a lot about. But that's fine. I think um, it's probably something that more of our listeners than you realise also um, experience in the... I think a lot of people do. You know when you're like a little bit in something but you're a bit scared to bring it up? Yeah. To your mates because it's like, oh, if, if it's like they ask you, oh, what's your... What do well, you think of the first album or... What you're you, like, oh, yeah. I don't know that. Yeah. So yeah. I just like the song. <laughs> so you're, you're just at a different stage. You just come to things at different stages yeah. and there should be no shame in um, coming to something later. It's a madness that there's any kind of um, stigma connected to, like, just liking a song. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> now, I know the kind of connotations around choosing a band like this, and I know how big they were yeah. in the very late, was it the 90s, <laughs> very late 80s to 90s. You're looking at the wrong guy. I think oh. about 86 was their first kind I'll of... I'll tell you what, Lizzie's going to be annoyed if you're wrong. Really? If no one else... Does Lizzie listen to this? Lizzie loves De La Soul. Bowl Knee Fest this year, I arrived wearing a De La Soul t-shirt, if you remember. I'm so spot on. 89, and... I think, was their first record. Yeah, and that was Lizzie's t-shirt. She's a big De La Soul fan. Okay, so 80s until like the early noughties. Like, they've released some like um, some mixtapes and they've released some EPs and they've, they've done a lot of work with other people. But in 2016, we had... And the anonymous nobody. And, like I say, kind of came into this as a new listener. And I absolutely love this. I've had this this album on for the last, like, month. Just constantly. I I am a big fan of, like, kind of classic hip-hop and 90s hip-hop. And this just speaks, to, like, just the album cover alone, I absolutely love. There's songs in it, they've got huge people from Usher, um, you know, huge Usher. Uh, <laughs> I think De La Soul, a huge Usher. <laughs> Sno- Snoop Dogg, um, Damon Albarn's at the end of it, David Byrne. And the one song that caught me in was um, Little Dragon is also makes an appearance and she does a lot of stuff with kind of hip-hop acts, doesn't she? Really? What do you mean, really? Which album is this, sorry? This is a new album. Oh, new. None of Us Nobody. Yeah. Sorry, I really wasn't paying attention. I thought you were talking about old De La Soul. I was like, how? Oh, I don't re- Tim's on fucking Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> right. Less of that, Harry. The songs on here are absolutely amazing. Like, this could possibly be a contender for one of my albums of the year. And it, I mean, it's been completely under, like, yeah. just nobody's said anything about it. It's been out for, like, a yeah. month or two. Nobody said anything about it. Yeah. But the I amount of contenders you've got for album of the year now. So many. I've got 18 You've said it the about at least 35 on the podcast. I already know the one that's going to be my album of the year. But I'm not going to say it. Do you? Yeah. Well, it's going to be Frank Ocean, isn't it? Don't even no. pretend it's not. It is. It's not. It is. No, it's not. It is. It's not. It is. It's not. <laughs> He's going to be a close, close up, but no, yeah. it's not. It's going to be Kane Strang. That's going to be mine. Nope. Um, T-Lop. I can't say. <laughs> it's T-Lop. Right. So we're moving. Look at him skimming on. on it's T-Lop. To, I really want to play Drawn, 
which is the one with Little Dragon in it. But it's like this album kind of takes you lots and lots of different places in terms of um, kind of the structure of its songs and the the um, the tempo and the style of each kind of thing. Um, and I, I really do want to play this song, but the thing is, it's a very quiet. It's a very slow song that it is pretty much it like it features Little Dragon and it's almost solely her piece. I instead so well basically I want everybody to go and listen to Drawn because I absolutely love that song. I've tried playing it at work before and people really don't like it, although people don't like my music taste. Um I am going to play the song Pain with Snoop Dogg. He's a legend. These guys are legends. And the most exciting thing about this is that I know that they've got a whole back catalogue that I'm going to go and check out. But for me, this is an album that really excites me. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned it, but 11 years since their last full-length album. It's a long time. Yeah. So um, let's stick on Pain by De La Soul featuring Snoop Dogg. Pew. I will teach you, my student. My Get final on. pick uh, is primarily built around someone you know very, very well. Mm-hmm. It's your mum. No, it's not. <laughs> it's me, mum. <laughs> it is uh, Tame Impala's mm. Kevin Parker. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. Beautiful, man. very beautiful man. Lovely feet. Lots of hair. As we learned at Glastonbury. Yeah, lovely little feet. <laughs> tiny I, feet, really I'm, tiny. Yeah, really small. He's basically Slender. walking on like pins. I felt like they had no depth to them. Like no. they seemed wafer thin feet. <laughs> <laughs> he's just walking on paper. You had a little carpet out, and he just <laughs> <laughs> Bernard Matthews. He's a ham. paper man. He's got <laughs> paper legs, and these folds at the end are just the feet. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> earlier this month. Kevin Parker kind of uh, reformed an old project of his. Right. It is psych rock thing, which is him, its former Tame Impala, and Pond member Nicholas Albrook. Yeah. And Pond member Shiny Joe Ryan. And they came back and played a one-off show, which I kind of hope isn't a one-off show. Under the name... Mink Muscle Creek. I don't know if you ever heard any Mink Muscle Creek. No, I ha- I did know that they're all friends. I knew that he was the drummer for Pond for for like maybe I think the first album or at least for the band yeah. before any recorded albums. So they were. Re- I mean, that whole group. Yeah. From Melbourne. Melbourne is, is like 
uh, bizarrely interchangeable, and there's all these kind of crazy little side projects. Mm. This is, I think, I think it was your brother Jack who uh, showed me Mick Muscle Creek once before, and of all those kind of little projects, this was one that I thought, wow. This is really, really cool. And of course, it fits in with the rest. You know, Pond with Tame Impala. It is that kind of stuff. But it's a really great version of all that stuff. And I yeah. would love to think that this reunion wasn't just a one-off. Um, I hope not. Yeah. So, because they have a relatively short history, I mean, you can find them on Spotify, you can find them on YouTube, they have put out songs before. Um but because the only thing they've ever put out was a seven track uh, sort of e not really an album I think an EP really came out in 2014 called uh Mink Muscle Manticore I don't know if I'm saying that word right but I'm yeah. going to say Manticore um the point being that they don't have a huge history so I don't have a huge amount to say about them everything that we can say about Kevin Parker we've already said yeah Ponder a fantastic band. It's essentially a hybrid of these guys. And they're great. They're really, really great. So talented. Like, really... And they know so much. So. Not, well... Because it's so natural. That's what annoys it me. It is very natural like, to them. You see some people who you think they're so talented, but you feel like, um, God, years of hard graft... Yeah. have gone into them getting to be so talented. And I'm not saying they haven't worked hard. Of course they've worked hard. That's yeah. just, you know, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. But it just feels like it just flows out of these people. It, it looks effortless, yeah. doesn't it? And it's just like, oh. Like, I know what it's like because I've been lucky enough that some people have said I'm talented. I'm not saying I am at all. Some people are You're talented, Harry. Thank you. But I know that I have to put in to to produce something or make something or seem like I'm talented. Yeah. I have to put in so much effort yeah, that exactly. it's ridiculous. So even and I, I suppose that is the same thing because um, you know it's not mu- you know you're musically talented. I do kind of visual design work, but some things that people you're talented too, Tim. But people think things that people think look simple uh, yeah. and say look great, but like it pro- you know sometimes design work that you do looks a bit minimal effort. And I suppose maybe that is the same with these guys. Maybe they're working their absolute asses off behind the scenes and then they've just got a kind of look about it's them. It's very likely that it's yeah. that, yeah. I feel like that is probably so. But the point is, for whatever reason, an incredible creative community uh, sprung up around there at that time. And this is one of the many projects that I would like to hear more from. And the song I would like to take us out on is called They Dated Steadily. Which, I don't know if you know it, but if you don't, you're going to go mad for it and you're going to listen to it all the way home. I hope so. I really don't date steadily. You do. You're the steadiest dater (laughs) there's ever been. You steadily date for five years at a time. It's never steady though, it's always rocky. No, it's steady as hell. (laughs) All right. Whereas I... I fall off a cliff. It's like, I love you. <laughs> what a way to end There's this nothing steady about show. my dating habits at all. But anyway, hope no one I'm trying to date is listening. Can can we um, promise the listeners that one day we'll do a podcast episode 
based on just our lives and no no music until i get my shit together <laughs> no it's not gonna happen the world can't know here's what's terrible i'm just gonna say do you, would you listeners like to hear about our lives and then we're never gonna get any anything back so i'm gonna feel really terrible no, we in a few weeks we will, and they'll say, we really want to, and then I'll be guilt-tripped into disclosing it all, and it's going to be awful. Oh, dear. I really wish you didn't say that, but you have. So, um, anyway, listeners, Harry's requested you get in touch, so do it. Um, but thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah. We've been Tracks. We have been Tracks. I've been Tim. And I have been Harry. And, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for getting through this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is They Dated Steadily. I feel like I need to say it a bit slower because there's so many words. They Dated Steadily by Mink Muscle Creek. Google it. Yeah. You've got all the words you need there. Yeah, we'll just shazam it when we actually play it. Yeah. Okay. Cheers, guys. See you later. Goodbye, lovely people.